I'm glad you're here. I want to. I want to start. We just finished the the unbelievable uh, holiday of Purim, and uh, maybe I'll just tell you a, a couple of quick uh, Purim stories from my Purim uh, this year. Uh, one was I was I was in. Um, I had to stop in the office just to finish a couple of things, and I was I was in the little kitchenette area, and. There's a, a guy, a very lovely guy, uh, who kind of works, he helps out, and uh, anyway, not Jewish, uh, but really a, a very sweet guy, and I don't think, really doesn't know much about uh, Judaism, not, not that he should or has to, um, but anyway, uh, he said to me, how are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm doing great. I said, today is the holiday of Purim, and then he said, what's Purim? And then at, at that moment, just at that moment, someone walked in, and my, my back was turned to the door, so I didn't see who it was. Someone walks in and says, Purim is the holiday that celebrates the oneness of God. And I was speechless, and I turned around, and it was another non-Jewish person on our staff. And then he turned to me and he said, I just want you to know I listen. And, and then... I remembered that about a week ago, he had walked into my office and I had a book about Purim on my desk. And so I gave him like a two-minute talk on Purim. <laughs> and, but I, I was so, I was really, I was stunned, you know. And then there was another, a, a little bit after that, there's a, another person who's, uh, who I work with, who I've worked with on and off with over the, a period of maybe 10 years, maybe longer actually, closer to 15 years. And he has uh, twin boys and, um, you know, just never looked into their birthday, certainly. Just never came up, never never was relevant. And, uh, I, you know, we were talking about Purim for a moment. And I, he said, ah, I'm such a bad father. My kid's birthday is tomorrow. And I, meaning on the English calendar. And he said, I haven't gotten them anything yet. And I thought to myself, his kid's birthday is tomorrow. That's pretty, that's pretty close to Purim. And so I said, do you know their Jewish birthdays? They're, they're, they're lunar on the lunar calendar? And he said, no. So I was sitting in front of my computer and I, I looked it up. And I think they're 10, 10, 11 years old. Sure enough, they're born on Purim Day. And he found out this on Purim Day. And here we've known each other for years and years and years and years. But this just information just came out that moment. Um, earlier that day, uh, my... Brother-in-law lives in, in, the, in the greater neighborhood, not actually in our neighborhood, but a little bit outside of it. And I thought, oh, well, I'll swing by, I'll, I'll drop off a, 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 some, a basket at his house. And, uh, but it was, I guess, a little bit out of the way, not, not, not so terrible, but whatever it is. So as I'm leaving to go, I, I'm really about to put my hand on the door. And at that moment, there's a knock at the door. And it's his daughter, my niece, and she's dropping something off. And I said to her, you're not going to your dad by any chance, are you? And she said, yeah, that's my next stop. So I said, here, would you take this for me? You know, but just, and I thought about it, because not many people know him. It's the only person, really, in the entire area who could have come and came at that moment who would have been going over there. You know, in like, pretty much the city, I would say. So that, just the timing of that was pretty stunning. But all, all that, 
Well, these are all just Purim moments, you know. Purim being that 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 God is is running the world constantly, even even when you when you don't know it, even when you don't think it, even when you're sure that He isn't, even when you're sure you've been abandoned. God forbid, He's there equally one hundred percent, and um, that's why. And I, I gave a talk this year called Purim, the Holiday of Oneness, and I. I just feel like Purim is really the headquarters of so many teachings about the human condition and about every day of the year. And if you really want to understand what Judaism says about life, really learn, learn about Purim. Because all the teachings are really collected there. Because it's all about explaining God in, in, when, while we're in exile. Before the world becomes perfected, before Mashiach comes... We're basically in a constant state of Purim. And so, if you, if you want to endeavor to understand your life, you know, just uh, look there. So, so, one of the things that, that, that came out, um, and it was kind of like, for me anyway, at, at, the, at the time, it hit me as a, a big realization, just about life. And... You know, I was talking with someone, and it just it just hit me. And basically, here's the first kind of, for me anyway, big thought that I want to share with you. And let me just start with the with the bottom line first, and then I'm going to explain what I mean by this. Don't stop doing good things. Don't stop. Keep on doing good things. Okay, that's that's the bottom line. And now let me explain to you what I mean by that and how, how deep that is, okay? You see, what, what I've come to understand is that, well, let me just tell you something about story structure. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a writer by profession. So every story, the nature of a story is that it has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. That's, that's what a story is. It's got a beginning, a middle, and an end, Okay? Now, all of our lives, we're, we're telling stories. Now, I, I don't just mean that verbally, like, oh, do you know what just happened to me at the supermarket? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that with the choices that we make, we're telling a story with our lives. Our lives ourselves, our lives itself, is a story that we're telling to the world. People look at our lives and they say, oh, Look at that. Look at that. And, and our principles and the choices that we're making and what we, our lives are, are the greatest testimony to what we feel is important in the world. You know, so, so going, going with that idea, all of us make great choices and horrible choices. All of us have done really Fantastic things, you know, at our level, have done fantastic things and have done disastrous things. So, and, and not just on an individual level, but on a Jewish history level or on a world history level, if you think about it, every variation of every action has pretty much been done from the utmost negative to the utmost positive, just about. Just about every variation of everything has been done. 
Now, let me tell you why that's so meaningful, especially getting back to our individual lives. Because every single story, every eventuality in our own lives has been set up. Meaning to say that that everything is just waiting for our present moment action that's going to complete a story that there's already a beginning of and there's already a middle of in our lives. So, I was talking with someone to, to make this more concrete, okay? I was having a lunch with someone the other day, and uh, a mutual friend of ours uh, uh, came up. He actually brought him up, and he said, Oh, you know, this guy, uh, you remember that story he told? He was just walking down the street. He ran into the, 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 the star of a show. He was, at this point... Extremely, he's an extremely gifted writer and uh, wasn't employed at the time and uh, hadn't actually gotten his first break yet. And, you know, just as walking down Broadway and bumps into a star, TV star, you know, and this TV star had just gotten his own show and says to, basically creates an opportunity for him to apply for the show. He gets the job. And that was the beginning of, you know, a, a you know, a very award-filled career. Okay, so that's, that's what my friend told me over lunch. And I said to him, well, I said, do you know the rest of that story? <laughs> I mean, that's, that sounds like a, a classic Hollywood story, right? You just bump into a guy, and the guy says, oh, you know, you got a funny walk. I like you. You know, why don't you write for my hit television show? I mean, it sounds a little bit like, you know, it doesn't sound exactly right. And that's because it isn't exactly right, because there's more to that story. The, the, the rest of that story is that this person took a job answering phones on a show, you know, uh, which was, you know, that, 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 that took a lot of integrity to, to be able to say, you know something, maybe I can't start at the level that, that, that my talent is worthy of, but I'm going to start at a, at a place where I can, maybe even if it's at the bottom, but where I can, you know, enter into the organization and hopefully rise up. That, that, that's, that's, that shows a lot of integrity, right? And was answering phones. But while he was answering phones, he was also writing jokes for free for one of the segments of the show. And got several of them on the air. No payment, by the way. Now, there would be some people would go, Wait a minute, you're not paying me? Like, ah, you know, so... But, but that's kind of like, you know, every rhythm, ha- every, every business has certain rhythms and certain rules written and unwritten. And that was just kind of one of the things if you wanted to, you know, attract the attention of someone. So you, you write some, them some jokes and he was inside the organization at that point. So that's the, and now it's a, it's a period of time le- later. I think it was a couple of years later that he runs into this guy on the street who now said to him, oh, that's the guy who wrote me stuff that I was able to use, and now I've got a show, and I need guys who can write me stuff, who I know, you know, have the goods. And that's what it is. Ah, 
So I remember reading in the newspaper one time, a guy said, they basically said, everyone's calling me an overnight success. He said, I'm an overnight success after working the clubs for 19 years. You know? So, so all of our lives, all of our lives, we've set up every eventuality in our life. We've set up every eventuality in our life through our past actions. The beginning and the middle of just about every single story, good to horrible, already exists in our actions. And then the question is, what is our next action? And if our next action is something positive, and something wonderful comes down from heaven, I guarantee you, you will be able to look back on the narrative of your life, and you'll go, well, I paid off that story that there was a beginning to and a middle to, and here's the... And here's the end. And, and for the bad also. If a person makes a disastrous choice, well, yeah, there was... Do you understand that, that, that our present action will be the culmination to a story that we're telling with our lives? Which is why you've got to ask yourself, what story am I telling with my life? What, what story am I choosing to tell? And now let me put it in the more sort of macro sense right now. We've had Abraham. We've had Yitzchak. We've had Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've had Moshe. We've gotten the Torah from heaven. We built the Holy Temple, the base of Migdash. All we're waiting for is Mashiach. And who knows what mitzvah and whose it's going to be. You know, Reb Shlomo, I heard him say this many times. How do we know it's not going to be a drunkard lying in the street that his prayer isn't going to be the one that brings Mashiach? We don't know. We don't know whose mitzvah it's going to be that's going to be the final, final mitzvah. We don't know. But what I'm trying to tell you is that the entire story of the perfection of the world, of the redemption of the world, it's all been set up. It all exists. All the story points already exist. They've all happened. They're just waiting for that final action. And so, I was talking with someone else, another, you know, sweet and holy person. And, you know, they were praying for something for so many years, years and years and years and years and years, and didn't get it. And then, all of a sudden, not only did they get it, but they got that and like the, the whole next quantum level. After years and years and years and years and years of praying and not getting it. Not getting even the first level. All of a sudden got that and then way more. And I said to them, and this is really where the kind of idea hit me. I said, you know, you never stopped living your narrative. You never stopped telling this story with your life. And then all of a sudden, it, it just, it happened. So, so we, we can't get discouraged also. You see, you see, there's a lot of people, they, they, they look at the world and they say, this world is so broken, it's so far away from being what it needs to be. We talk about the redemption. These things seem so wildly abstract. 
Like, you know, all I see is people fighting and tripping each other and, you know, disunity and... What are you talking about? But that's, that's, that's one level. That's one level. One of the things that we have to understand, and I heard this from Rabbi Weinberg in the name, in the, in the name of the Shem Shmuel, is that, you know, there's this mountain, this tower of collective merit over the generations of our people. In other words, all the good that we've done over the thousands of years all exists and is all stored up and we're constantly adding to it. And so on the one hand, it might look like everything is in disarray on the, on the level of just our eyes looking at the newspaper. But on another level, there's this mountain, this tower of merit that one thing can put it over the top and then everything changes. So the newspaper headlines are a faulty barometer in terms of understanding where exactly we're holding as a people and as a world. It's an indication, but it's not the entire story. And if we place too much emphasis on it, then we're the ones who are off. And, you know, there's a, another way that I, 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 I'd like to express this. It's actually kind of a, a funny Gomorrah. Funny meaning funny slash strange. It's in Gomorrah Megillah on uh, page uh, Club Gimel 23. And, uh, and it goes like this. It's kind of like this little kind of like three-line sidebar, you know, which is just, that's what the Gomorrah is famous for. Like, they'll be discussing whatever it is. And then you'll have this amazing, you know, exchange. And then it's back to some other topic. So this is one of those little sidebars. Um, I'm forgetting the names right now, forgive me, but one of these sages says to the son of another sage, okay? So a sage is talking to the son of another sage, and so this sage says to the uh, other sage's son, tell your father if he were a levy, now remember the tribe of levy, they they were the singers and the musicians in the Holy Temple, in the Beis HaMikdash in Jerusalem, okay? So the sage says to the son of the other sage, Tell your father, if he were a levy in the Beis HaMikdash, they wouldn't let him sing because his voice is so terrible. <laughs> He'd be disqualified. So, strange, right? Like, it just sounds like, you know, he's just slamming him, you know? Like, why? I don't know. So, so the, the son relays this to his father. And his father says... To his son, go tell him. Now, this is really interesting. You know, in, in America, we know this to be true, but, but from this you see that this has been true for, you know, at least a couple of thousand years. In English, we don't have the ch sound, like Hanukkah, right? We don't have the ch sound. We have, so, so some people can do it, but then you see some people, when they're pronouncing Hebrew, they'll say ha instead of ch, right? So... So apparently back then, there were also people who couldn't pronounce ch, even people who spoke Hebrew or Aramaic, whatever it was. So there's a certain verse in Yeshaya, in Isaiah, and he says to his son, tell him to, pr- to pronounce this verse. Now in this verse, one of the key words in this verse, if you pronounce it with a ch, 
Basically, it, 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 it means, um, I'm paraphrasing, but it means, I will praise God. Right? But he knew that he wasn't able to pronounce it with a ha. So if you pronounce that key word and say ha instead, it turns into, the, the meaning is that I will smite God. <laughs> so this was, this was the other sage's response to, to the, uh, the first sage's, you know, slam, okay? So now, I want you to, I was really, the first time I read that, I was so intrigued by it. And I wanted to sort of like explore it a little bit more deeply and, and, and I'll connect it to what we've been discussing up until now. So basically, if you pronounce it with a chet, and chet we know is the number eight, and that stands for transcendence, right? Then it's a blessing in the context of that verse from the Torah. If you pronounce it with a hey, and the letter hey stands for this world. <clears throat> we know with the name of Hashem, Yud and hey and Vav and hey, that the bottom hey stands for Malchus, which is this world. Everyone says this. So if you pronounce it with a hey, it means you're going to smite God, meaning to say it would be like a blasphemy, basically. So, it hit me that, that that makes a lot of sense. If you just look at this world on the hay level, on the smiting level, if you will, and you just see this world for what it is, where it's holding right now, just on the level of the daily headlines, in the papers, right, or on the internet, whatever it is, you're going to, you're going to, you're, you're going to become a non-believer. Because how... How could anything be right with this world? How, how can you have a God who's running this world that's so broken? You're going to reach a level which is going to be on the level of blasphemy, basically. But if you understand that God is running the show, that God transcends this world, that God is running absolutely everything, which is this level of transcendence, which is this level of chet, of eight, then you'll reach a level of praise of God doesn't mean we all know what's going on or how God is doing it or anything like that. We just know that He is. So, so now, I want to connect this to something in, in the Parsha. What's the word? What's the word in You know, I, I don't remember right now. But you can look it up. It's in Gomorrah Megillah on page 23. You can look it up. It's a Pasuk from Yeshai. So, so, there's a very, here, let me start with a joke, which illustrates this teaching, okay? So, the joke goes like this, that, uh, you know, sometimes it's best, just in general, on a very practical level, if you don't take flights on a Friday. Because, you know, in terms of keeping Shabbos, you never know if flights are delayed and with your luggage and this and that. And it's just best not to travel on a Friday. There could be traffic and if you cut it too close, you can cause a lot of headaches for yourself. So just better don't travel on Friday if you can avoid it. It can't always be, it can't always be avoided, by the way. So in this particular story, 
a man who lives in a religious neighborhood in Brooklyn, travels on a Friday, and it's really last minute, and there's a lot of traffic, and he's in the cab, and he's having like an anxiety attack in terms of getting home in time for Shabbos, and the cabbie, who's not religious, turns to him and says, listen, what? it's out of your control. God will forgive you. And he said, God, what about my neighbors? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so that's, 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 there's something deep in here, though, because that's, that's putting it in kind of a negative way and whatever it is. But I'm just trying to introduce the idea. There's a famous story from the Gomorrah. I didn't have a chance to look it up with all of the names, but again, just to paraphrase it, I think it's Yochanan ben Zakkai, I'm not positive, but he's on his deathbed, and one of the things that he blesses his students with is that they should fear God like they fear their neighbor. And that seemed very strange to the people gathered around there. Like, why would that, why would that be? And how, like, that seems weird. And the teaching is very deep, actually. Because, you see, one of the things, and it's one of the themes that, that, that I cycle through in these talks really all the time, I don't always say it explicitly, but it's, it's always there, is, is the point that God can't be an abstraction. That God has to be a tangible reality in terms of how you approach life and every aspect of your life. Your, your life is a direct conversation, a direct relationship with, with, with God. That's, that's, that's the primary, that's the very first point of consciousness, basically. It's just there's a God and you're interacting with Him constantly. Now, you know, what... what but for most people, I would say, God is an abstraction. One of the ways I, I, I kind of like to put it is, you know, people think that there are, there's like candy bars and baseball and clouds and concrete and God and pencils and tofu. And it's like, wait a second, what, what, what just happened there? You know, that... You say God is one thing of, on a list of things that exist? That's, that's not what it is. Everything exists within God. God isn't just uh, one thing. God, that, that's the only thing that there is. All there is is God. It's the only thing that exists. It's the only thing that exists. I'm not terms, to, talking about in terms of priorities. Like, here are my priorities. Hygiene, <laughs> you know, sportsmanship, <laughs> you know, you know, patriotism, you know, that it's not, I'm not talking about priorities. I'm talking about actual reality, simple facts. The only thing that exists, period, end, is God. We're the figments on some level. I mean, we have to take life and ourselves and everything very, very seriously. But at the same time, relative to God, we're figments. You know, when we say at the end of the first paragraph of Elenu, Ein Ode, there is none other, one of the, one of the, uh, 
classic explanations of that is, is just what I'm saying. That God is the only thing that exists. Ain't owed. There is nothing other than God. It's not a philosophical construct. This is the, the most pushit, simple aspect of life, what I'm saying right now. But the danger is, is that because it's so overwhelming and so infinite and so all-embracing, that our minds can short-circuit if we don't treat this concept properly. And then, we, then it turns into an idea. So, so what the sage in the Gomorrah was trying to tell us, that you should fear, your, you should fear God like you fear your neighbor, what's more concrete than a human being? than your neighbor, than another person. And if you understand that, that God is a reality on that level, in the here and now, then your, your level of Yerashamayim, of awe of heaven, will be much realer. It's about being real. Now, all of this is to introduce an idea in in the sin of the golden calf. I'm just, all that is just building up to this point, okay? Because, you see, there, there are many ways to discuss it, and I've discussed it many different times. But I want to zero in on, on one point, which I haven't really heard discussed, and to me, I think that this is maybe the most radical and important part of that, of that story, okay? So, I'm not going to go through the details of the whole thing. You probably know it already. But there's a very important medrash which says the following. The bottom line is that the Jewish people and the nation that left with the Jews, I mean, we don't talk about that so much. Like, only after the fact. Like, I think that when anyone talks about when we left Egypt, that that should be part of everyone's simple description of the exodus from Egypt. We left, and another nation joined us as we left. That's a very essential fact in terms of understanding, you know, the next 40 years in the desert. Because that other nation that left with us from Egypt, and it was a multitude of peoples, who, were all, who all saw the miracles. I mean, if you think about it, I love facts like this, because... Because the more you think about them, the more it adds to the reality of the historical account. Because if you think about it, you've got this incredible revolution going on, to put it in modern parlance. The greatest dictatorship, in well, one of the greatest ones in world history, certainly the greatest one at that time, is, is about to be overthrown. You've got this whole nation leaving don't you think the other people, there are going to be a lot of people who saw all those miracles. Wouldn't it make sense, based on just your reading of what happens in a newspaper, when, when there's a revolution in a country? Wouldn't it make sense that other people would also leave with that nation? They also want to get out of there? I mean, that should be the case. And if it isn't the case, then it's a little too cookie-cutter clean, right? Just that nation left? We're talking about in the... And we're talking about in terms of millions of people right now. You're telling me just one nation left and no one else left with them? What about the miracles? No one else saw the miracles? No one else wanted to join them? Uh, of, course, of, of course they saw the miracles and of course they wanted to join them. 
And so a whole throng and multitude of people who weren't the Jewish people, by the way, but who end up joining the Jewish people, you know, leave at that same time. All right? And, and that, there's a very significant storyline. By the way, just so you have a tool, this is when the Torah refers to the, they're known as the Arab Rav. When, when the Torah refers to them, it uses the word Am, Ayin Mem, for nation. Okay, so when it talks about the Am, the, the Torah is, to, is referring to the Erev Rav. Okay, and it was the Erev Rav that instigated the sin of the golden calf. That's why I'm telling you this right now. All the sources say, and this is not trying to, you know, pass the buck, because we were also implicated on some level, but we, we weren't the ones who initiated it. And that's just, that's just our history. You know, it's just important to know. Anyway. And the Arab Rav, by the way, is just a concept, even till this day, is a, a very fascinating idea. It's explored in Kabbalah and everything like this. Just Anyway, but that's, that's, that's just another field of study. But what happened was, and this is applying to all of us now, all right? This is not just an Arab Rav teaching. This is all of us, okay? What happened was, Moshe is on Mount Sinai for 40 days, he goes in the midst of the darkness and he's like, he's in Shemayim. And the, the Torah itself says he doesn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, it was this super spiritual existence where he was basically being fed by light, you know, at the time. You know, it's amazing stuff. That's not a medrash, by the way. It just says outright that he didn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, there's something just absolutely superhuman going on over here. And... And what happens is, is that the people confuse when he's supposed to come back down. And when he doesn't come back, when they think he's supposed to come back, there's a mass panic. Now, what triggers this panic? And this is the point that I, I want to zero in on. So it says in Gomorrah Shabbos that, that the Sutton, right, which is, you know, the, this, the, just this evil, essentially. But, but remember, in, in Torah and Judaism, we only have one power. There's not God and he's battling against the devil, you know, and it's, who's going to win? You know, that's, that's two powers. That's not one power. So there's only one power. It's just God. And sometimes, or quite frequently, slash all of the time, God tests us. <laughs> and so the language of how God tests us is we'll be sent some sort of temptation and so that's how we understand this idea of the Sutton or the Yetzirah, whatever it is. But it's just all emanating from God. So God himself, even though the language of the Gomorrah is a Sutton, but understand that this is all coming from God. So God wants to test us. So what is the test? Very fascinating test. Remember, we've just gotten the Torah. Forty days before, we've just gotten the Torah. We've seen all the miracles. We crossed through the Red Sea. So, all right, the, the bread has been falling from heaven. The man has been falling from heaven for a period of time at this point. We're all united as one at Mount Sinai. Like, this is really the, the pinnacle of, of humanity has is, 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 is just taken place. It's 40, 40, days, 40 days later. God shows us a vision of, of the coffin of Moshe. 
And basically, the message is, and it's floating in the sky, and the message is, Moshe is dead. And people are like, whoa, this is, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then that produces the golden cap, because the idea is that, well, we need some sort of leader, some sort of go-between, Moshe was the go-between, now we need another go-between, and all the commentators say it wasn't really idol worship, we didn't really think that this calf took us out of Egypt or had any power, but we needed some sort of go-between. But, anyway, let's just look at this test, because this basically was the final test that God was going to give us before bringing Mashiach. You know, because basically... It's a deep teaching, but Aaron Akoin, Aaron the high priest, who they all come to, to lead the worship of the golden calf, and Aaron wants to delay what's going on, because he knows Moshe's coming back. So first he says, give me all your gold, your gold earrings and everything like that, thinking people aren't going to part with it so quickly. You know, that will be a delaying tactic, and is kind of surprised when everyone runs with their gold, so that, that didn't work. And then he says, tomorrow will be a holiday for, tomorrow's going to be a holiday. I don't remember the exact phrase, but that's what he says. Now, on a very, very deep level, what this is hinting at, I saw this from Rabbi Wolfson, and I think the Chassam Sofer says this as well, a very deep teaching, and this was the the 17th of Tammuz, by the way, Um, when the, when the, when the, uh, Luchos, the tablets end up getting smashed, okay, and the worship of the golden calf takes place. Had we, had that delay tactic worked, because he delayed them for a day, and Moshe still hadn't come down yet, but he was going to come down later that day. Had that worked, that day would have been a holiday. In other words, it wasn't just meant as a delay tactic. Tomorrow we'll make a holiday for the golden calf. What Aaron was saying was something very, very deep that tomorrow is going to be a holiday. What is the holiday going to be? The holiday of Moshe coming down with the Luchos and the full final acceptance of the Torah itself. And that would have been it. That was, that was the sealed deal, basically. That would, have been, that would have been the full final, full acceptance of the Torah. See, most people, myself included, who don't have that piece of information, think when we accepted the Torah on the 6th of Sivan, on Shavuos, that was the full acceptance of the Torah. Right? But, there, but if that's the case, why didn't Mashiach just come at that point? How could it have been that there was the whole test with the golden cat? So the answer was there was a full final acceptance with Moshe coming down with the Luchos, and that would have been, that would have been the ceiling. So, so the point being that God is giving us a test before that last moment. And what is the test that God is giving us? Do you have a direct relationship with God or not? It's a, it's a really basic question. Because why would God administer that particular test at that moment if that wasn't the fundamental final question? Do you have a direct relationship with God or not? Because if if your relationship with God is contingent on your teacher 
And by the way, it says in the Talmud, you have to have a teacher. I'm not saying don't have a teacher. You need a teacher. But I'm talking about when everything boils down to everything, everything else. Is your relationship to God, does it boil down to whether someone's watching you or not? Whether your neighbor is watching you or not? Is that the headquarters of your Yerushalayim? Of your awe of heaven? Or do you understand, like ideally God wanted to see that the people understood, that you know what? Whether we have Moshe, and this is not, God forbid, a zillion times to diminish an iota of the covet or the holiness of, of Moshe. But God, on some level, it seems, was asking us, whether there's a Moshe or whether there's not a Moshe, I'm still God, and I gave you the Torah, and you're serving me. So, on some level, when we saw the coffin, and I, I, I mean this, please don't misinterpret this, I mean this only in the most respectful way. On some level, the test was, if we saw the coffin of Moshe, we should have been very sad we've lost Moshe, but that shouldn't have changed anything. Shouldn't have changed a single thing. It would have been, aye, aye, we lost Moshe, okay. Or Moshe did his job, he finished his work, and that's what it is. Moshe's finished his job in the world, he gave us the Torah, and got it down from heaven for us. That's what it is. But not... What are we going to do? And yeah, Because that means on some level, our attachment to God, our relationship with God, was contingent on something else other than our direct relationship with God. So, so this is where we have to get to in terms of our own lives right now. This is what I'm talking about, that God can't be an abstraction. And it can't be, your, your relationship with God can't be contingent on anything other than the fact that you know what's right, and you need to do the right thing, and you need to do it in a direct relationship with God. Any, any, and if you think about it, what could be more simple than this? Any, I mean, when you hear the clarity of this idea, it should make you instantly, tremendously suspect about any religion that says you have to go through X, Y, or Z. Right? Because that just can't be. It can't be. It can't be. What do I have to need to go through you for? Are you joking? Are you joking? God made me. You're God. I love you. What's next? <laughs> But it's that real that, that reality, you know? And if you think about it, if you think about it, when everyone you see, you know, I meet a lot of people and you know and I didn't start with a religiously observant background. Um I was raised by my parents to be a very proud Jew and, and, and everything like this. But, but in terms of understanding our obligations and, and the, the Torah mitzvot and, 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 and everything like that, the structure of the universe, if you will, that, that came later. So I have a, an appreciation that, that, that people arrive at this over a period of time. It takes people time to, to arrive at this. And, and you have to be patient because 
Um, I, I know from my own life that it, it didn't happen overnight. It, it was, it was a, a multi-year process, right? But, but what I'm trying to say is, 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 is the following. That, that if, you, if you put it on someone, if someone is doing it other, for reasons other than the fact that they understand that this is the truth and that this is what they need to do to properly align themselves with God and be in harmony with the universe, really, then, then it's, there's something wrong with it. It's not going to last, usually. It won't last, or to the extent that the person's doing it, they're not doing it with their entire heart. But can you imagine, just imagining, let's talk about the Jewish people right now, that the Jewish people, each person among the Jewish people, understands, I have this direct connection. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I want to do. This is what I need to do. And I'm like, excuse me, radiating in terms of this direct relationship with me and God. That's, that's it. Then you just, what's that? Mashiach's here? That's it. It will happen that second. It will happen that second. You know, I keep on flashing on this bit of imagery. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if it's just too simplistic. But, you know, have you ever seen this where you have um, uh, metal shavings and then you have one of those big horseshoe um, magnets and you just kind of hold it from a distance and all the magnets, are, all the little shavings are standing at attention straight. And that's what it is. Just everyone understanding in their heart, this is what it is. And if they, if they, and, and it has to start with this primary understanding. And then, in terms of the observance, you know, then you just do the best you can, basically. Right? But if everyone has this core consciousness that I'm discussing right now, that should do it. That should do it also. And then hopefully everyone will get to, you know, the, 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 the outer levels as well. But if you've got that core consciousness, then everyone's going to be aligned and there's going to, it will literally change the entire universe. It'll change the entire universe. And I'll just end with this teaching just to show you. And now maybe you'll understand this teaching a little bit better. I mentioned it in that uh, Purim talk, Holiday of Oneness. A teaching that I saw the, the, the Shemi Shmuel brought from the Ari. A very deep teaching, but, but now I think maybe you'll be better to understand it. Which is that every, every month has a different permutation of the name of God. Meaning to say, there's God's holiest name, the yud ke vav ke, Yud and He and Vav and He. This name has four letters and there's 12 possible ways to rearrange these letters. Okay, these are, that's what I mean by permutations, okay? Tzirufim in Hebrew. So each month, since there are 12 months and 12 possible combinations of these letters within this name, each month has a different combination. Now, the month of Adar is the last month of the year. So the first month of the year is the straight spelling of God's name. In other words, there's no rearrangement at all. If you think about it, one, one of the months has to be 
if they're all different combinations, one of the month has to be the straight spelling of the name, right? So that's the month of Nisan. That's the first month of the year. And then you have all the way down to Adar, the last month of the year. What do you think the arrangement of the letters of the last month of the year is going to be? So my thought would be it should be the name of God, Yud and He and Vav and He, spelled backwards. Since it's the last month of the year. Right? And, and I was very excited because I saw the Ari ask that same question. And in fact, the Ari said that was supposed to be the arrangement for the month of Adar. But because of the prayers of Mordechai and Esther, it rearranged the combination of letters for the month of Adar to what it is right now. And if you're interested in following what it is right now and what that indicates and everything like that, look on that other talk, Purim Holiday of Oneness, because I go into depth into what, what the arrangement for Adar is and, and what the significance of that is. But anyway, here's the point. The whole spiritual DNA of reality got altered because of the prayers of the Jewish people. And that's what I'm saying, that when we understand... What was the final test? I mean, that in itself should just blow your mind. The idea that on some level we can say there was a final test. And what was it? Moshe's coffin floating in the sky. I mean, could there have been more tests after that? Maybe. What do I know? Because we don't know what direction history would have gone in. Maybe there would have been one more test. I don't know. But it would seem that this was the final test. So the final test, again, is do you have this direct relationship? And is it real to you? And is it based on your understanding that, that there's a God, that he fills the world, that he has a certain desire for us, the way we're, we're supposed to live? And then once we get that, once we understand that, everything will transform. It's happened in the past. It's happened in the past. And by the way, I think it happens on an ongoing basis. Because I think the temperature, the spiritual temperature of the world in terms of the merits and the, you know, the not so good stuff is constantly, is constantly affecting just the capacity of light that's coming down into the world on an ongoing basis. So can you imagine if we just turn up, turn up the good? What's going to happen? It just alters what's able to come down. Because one of the absolute fundamentals, I heard this from Rabbi Green, is that God desires 100% of the time to give 100% of his good. And what happens is, is that God is always giving 100% of his good. But sometimes that could manifest itself in a way that it's to correct someone. Now, we use the word punishment, but punishment is a very superficial term. It's actually, it's a fixing. It's a fixing to get someone to come to the consciousness and into the right place. It's not a punishment. It isn't. We can experience it as a punishment, but what it's, it's meant to... It's meant as a fixing. You know, I, I once thought of it one way. Imagine, you know, like, like uh, rose bushes. 
You know, a, uh, I, re- I remember when I was in, I don't know, fifth grade, there was a poster on the guidance counselor's wall, right? I never forgot it. You know, in fifth grade, I thought this was as deep as it got, right? And it said, we can, we can be sad that a rose, uh, that a, uh, that a rose bush has thorns, or we can celebrate that a thorn bush has roses. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh, that's good, that's good. You know. <laughs> and But imagine someone like walks into, and I'm talking metaphorically right now, but like in terms of the choices that they make in life, that they walk into the middle of a thorn bush, right? Just in terms of the choices that they make. And now imagine I'm stuck in the middle of a thorn bush, right? Now I thought to myself, you know what? If someone wanted to get me out of the thorn bush, which I really want to get out of, right? I have to go through the thorns again. Because how am I going to get out of the thorn bush without going through the thorns again? So a lot of times when, what we, when, we've, when our life is kind of out of whack and we've made some, you know, not the best choices, sometimes we'll experience... What, what's going on is a punishment, but what God is doing is, is He's just trying to get us out of the thorn bush. Now we're feeling the thorns at that moment, but what's God's intent at that point? Just to get us right onto the right path again. Do you understand? So that's just one way of, of, of visualizing it, take it or leave it, you know? So again, again, I'll just, just conclude by, by just recapping the, the, the point that we started with. Every eventuality has been set up in your life, right? A story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. The beginning and the middle of every story has already been set up in your own life through your own choices and through history. We've done every version of everything so far. And what it's awaiting is the moment and the decision that you make today. And you'll find that if you make the right choice, and if you commit to making the right choice, you will end up paying off the story that your life has already set up. Stick with your narrative. And what is our narrative? Our narrative is that God is one, that He's going to fix the world, that the world is in the process of being created, and we're going to finish the world with God by keeping the Torah and doing the mitzvahs. And that's going to happen. And it's all been set up. And who knows whose prayer and whose action will be the one that culminates the entire thing. Let it be soon. Let it be today. Let it be you.